Children, love having you in here. Let me just give this to the parents in here. This is a service that we decided to just give nursery through everyone a break. So everyone is in here with us this morning. If you need to be in the back doing kind of the mommy dance like this, you can go back and do that. We do have the cry room open if, if you want that. But it's okay to have it be. It's a little bit more rambunctious in here this morning, which is good. I like that. I live with this all the time, so I'm used to it. You're not bothering me one bit. All right, one quick announcement before we head on, and that's this. Last Wednesday, this last Wednesday night, we started Summer Theologian Series. That's a big, scary, serious-sounding thing for learning to be a disciple of Jesus more on three different tracks. One is on the Christian and politics. What does the Bible have to say about government? How are we supposed to think this way? We're not going to come in and try to program you. We want to open the Scriptures and say, how should a Christian interact with government? We have a big general election coming up this fall. We want you to be informed biblically about that. Secondly, there's one on growing in Christ. Some of you have sat in sermon after sermon after sermon. You've gone to church. You've read smatterings of the Bible or a lot of the Bible. But you don't know how the dots connect necessarily. And you just say, man, I want five weeks, six weeks on what should I be doing? What does God want from me? That's what Jim Cooks is about with growing in Christ. And then we have another one called parenting beyond your capacity. So if you are at capacity and need to parent beyond that, come to our class and we will discuss that. Uh, one of the biggest messages out of the first week was this. It was good for parents to hear other parents who are struggling and just having issues and having needs. And that's a part of what we're going to do is look, look to God for that. All right. I told you it was going to be a little bit more rambunctious. I need 52 volunteers. And the way we're going to do that is, is just like this. So if you get a card, you're one of the volunteers, okay? Some of you aren't used to having things thrown at you in church. There's my 52 volunteers. Listen up. On the count of three, here's what I need. If you're holding the card, you better be listening like Jacob right here. He's listening. On the count of three, you are going to say at the same time what card you have in your hands. Okay? Everyone got the idea? Okay, parents might need to help their kids with what they have. One, two, three. I just, I love this church. I mean, that was, that was said with gusto. That wasn't like wimpy, okay? Now, did everyone get all that? Everyone knows what their neighbor has at least, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your card that you just looked at. Now I want you to flip it around to the back. I want you to flip it around the back and look at the red side. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to tell me, all of you at once, on the count of three, what you have in your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, this is an experiment where on Monday you just don't know how this is going to go. Some people still said eight of spades or whatever they had. Some of you said maybe a card. Okay, here's the point. Here's the point of this. Why am I chucking things at you? Here's why. We are, this is a review from last week. We are looking at the idea of favoritism. Here's the truth. Ready? Every single one of you is holding a card. And praise God, every card isn't the same. They look different, they have different numbers, they have different suits, but they are all cards, fundamentally, first and foremost. And if you look at one side of the card, it's the eight of spades. If you flip it around and look at the other side, you realize, man, we all just have cards. Here's the big idea from last week, if you missed it, it's this. That every person you lay eyes on is 100% human. First and foremost, they are 100% human. And that's how, that's how we're to see them, first and foremost. Now, in the same way with people, aren't you glad we're not all the four of hearts, right? 
There's difference and there's variance and there's all kinds of differences to it. But fundamentally, we are 100% human with the same basic needs, the same basic fears and hang-ups. And praise God, we're not all the same. Now, here's the question. Why are we all universally so quick to put into ranking, to put into suit, to put into value, and to kind of sort into these different groups? Well, I'm of the noble class of the Jack, Queen, King, and Ace Club. Well, I'm over here... And the Joker's just like, I'm wild, you know, or whatever. We, we do this, though. We, we do this with people as much as we do it with cards. Here's the principle from last week by way of review. Favoritism is sin. Stop it and show mercy. Here's what we said last week. James, in chapter 2, takes verses 1 all the way down to 13, and he's driving this one point home. Now, we had a fun talk in men's group a little bit about some of this. And some of the guys were on the receiving end of the favoritism. And they're like, yeah, I never saw it as wrong until later. I never saw that it was a problem, really, until later on in life, because I was the recipient of favoritism in my home. And some, it's just very painful to hear the stories of how favoritism can get in and ruin a family. Favoritism can get in and ruin a church. And that's what we're going to look at. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to James 2. If you don't have a Bible or didn't bring one, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you do not have one, that's your gift this morning. We'd love for you to take it and read it. Uh, James 2, we're not going to reread 1 through 7. You can do that on your own time, but I am going to read 8 through 13. And again, this is the continuation of his thought. James chapter 2, starting in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Look at verse 8. He says, in my translation, if you really fulfill the royal law. Here's the implication of what he's saying there. He's implying that you don't. And we don't love our neighbor as ourselves to completion, do we? We see Jesus come along and we see the example of what, what the standard is and we see that, that we fall short of that. Now here's the question is why does James then take a few verses, about three verses, he goes all into the law talking about adultery and murder and becoming a transgressor of the law. Why does he do that? Here's my, here's my hunch of why he goes into that and we touched on this briefly last week. I think James thought that his readers would make light of the sin of favoritism. I, thought that, I, think, I think what he was saying is people will, will think that murder... I mean, look at the two examples he uses. Is murder wrong? Yes. Is adultery wrong? Yes. We get that. We see that. If a murderer or an adulterer walks in, you say, wow, that's a sinner. If a person who walks in and is playing favorites and is rampant in their partiality... I'll tell you what American Christians do. A lot of times I think we brush that sin under the rug. 
and we make light of it. Ah, it's no big deal. It sounds a little bit like, ah, it's just a bite of a piece of fruit. Probably not that big a deal. Whoops, there goes the fall of the human race. Uh, so it is a big deal because God commands this. And James couldn't be more clear. This is sin. Now, here's what I need. I need Briley and Tori. Come on up here. Briley and Tori uh, were at my house last night. We had a sleepover. Briley has a sleepover every night, but Tori was over. Now, I got a little gift from you. Go, go, ahead, and, uh, go ahead and pull it out. Not from you, for you. Um, now, a friend of mine brought me a chain. I asked him to bring me some chain, and I love it. This is the bag he brought me it in. And I'm like, wow, I just didn't see that coming. Life is full of surprises. Every day holds something new. Where's Jameson? Jameson, get up here. Uh, give it up for Jameson. He's going to help me out. I need you to walk around and stand right here. Now, I have instructed Jameson to do something. Now, he's going to take these. Go ahead and open those bad boys up and do as instructed. Now, those sitting nearby, this is like a Gallagher concert, but this isn't watermelon. These are shards of steel. So just kind of protect the kid's eyes. I'm kidding. It shouldn't be that gnarly. Okay, watch. You got it. Give it a fresh cut. All right. As he's working on that, <laughs> this always tests well in the office. As he's working on that, anyone know why we're doing this? I mean, aside from the fact that bringing bolt cutter, hey, there it is. Thank you, Jameson. Anyone know why we're doing this aside from the fact that bolt cutters in church is just kind of fun? Why do we just do that? What does this represent? Who's got it? Who's got an idea? Rob, did I tell you this already? No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He has chains, and he has he he has need of someone to help break them. You know what? I better just give it to you because that's a really good thought, and we're going to sing about that shortly. So let me just show you. Let me just show you what just happened. Jameson was a sinner. He is a sinner. He's in need of grace. And I, I warned him in advance. I said, by doing this, you are proclaiming I'm a sinner. He's like, I'm good with that. Let's just say, let's just say that, that each of these right here represented one of the commands of God, right? And, and one of them was, what have we just talked about? Murder, right? One of them was what? Adultery. What's another command of God? Favoritism. Don't show favoritism, right? Don't lie. Don't steal. Now, I gave James, I didn't give any instruction on, on which which link to break? But you see that by breaking one link, what does he become? A transgressor, a breaker of God's law. That's the picture. Give it up for my two lovely helpers. You guys can sit down. Leave the chain there. So, so do you see that? That's what James is saying in this passage of Scripture. He's saying this. It doesn't matter which one of those you're good at or that you break or that you're an expert at as a sinner. Even if you're not breaking any of the other ones, the second you do that, you're a lawbreaker. You're a transgressor of God's perfect law. They link together. Here's a little interesting irony. As I thought about this passage, he was saying this. Don't show partiality with people. Catch this. And don't show favoritism with God's law. There are parts of God's law we love to follow because we're good at it. We like those parts of the law. We hold everyone else accountable to that part of the law because we like it. But there's other parts of the law we don't talk about much. We don't embroider and hang on our walls from Berean. We don't, we don't really even discuss them or like to read about them in the scriptures. He's saying, don't be partial with God's law. All of God's law is from me, and don't be partial with it. Let me give you a couple of, 
a couple of just fill-ins for you who enjoy that sort of thing. Uh, this is in your, in your handout if you want to kind of follow along with that. Some of you have already drawn a chain because you're artistic that way and you're, you're, you're tracking that way. Here's a couple of thoughts. One is this, that favoritism violates God's law. Now, Rob actually touched on a point that's really true. All through the scriptures, when you see the law of God being talked about, do you know that the law is never given to show you the way of salvation? And the way that so many people through the ages and in our neighborhoods and us get this wrong is we say, if I can read more, if I can love better, if I could walk a closer walk with Jesus, if I could just witness more, if I could be more sacrificial and more, and more serving, then maybe God will be happy with me. I love, love, love the message of that new song we just learned. Maybe you're a great jumper. Maybe you've got tons of rewards. Maybe you've never received a reward in your life. For anything. Don't you see that on the high end of those things, the overachiever over here who gets everything right, and the one who goes, man, I'd love to be recognized one time for being the best at one thing ever. They're all on equal footing. That's not why God loves us. The law is always meant to point us to show us the need, our desperate need for a Savior. So, first point is this. Favoritism violates God's law. Here's the second part. God will judge favoritism. Look at that in verse 12. I put this in your handout for you, Romans 14.10. You can just read along with me or follow along with me. It says this. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. In that passage, we see two judges, don't we? A big judge with a big J and a big reach and and little judges. And we're the little judges that often go around passing judgment on people uh, unjustly. And we're to live and speak and act as ones who will give an account. Here's the third thing I just want to show from this passage in verse 13. Favoritism indicates, it reveals, it shows off an unmerciful spirit. An alternate title, I think of better titles sometimes than Love One Another Part 2, which is what I needed to have in by earlier this week. But here's the better one. If, if you're into better titles, you can just cross that out and say this. This is good in light of Fourth of July coming around the corner. Ready? Here it is. And justice for all. And justice for all. That's really one of the driving points of this message is that we're not going to show favoritism. We're going, to, we're going to let it abound to everyone. One of the things we talked about last week, we sang this last week, let justice and praise become my embrace. We know that it's wrong as a Christian to come in here and use our mouth to praise God and sing of His goodness and say, I'm completely loved by you. Your unconditional love has me fired up. And then to take that same mouth and at the church barbecue later on, belittle our younger sister. Or take that same mouth and begin to point across to the other person and say, I think that's that person's fourth hamburger already. And do you see that? All of a sudden, it just, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Um, 
All of a sudden, that same mouth that was seeking the praise of God is no longer seeking the justice and the mercy of of other people. And we all do this. We all stand condemned in this. And that's why we say to the Lord, God, grow in us a merciful spirit. Pursuing Jesus means that we are pursuing mercy and justice. And that's a hard thing to do. We need God's help with it. Here's a, here's a crazy thought, that every single person you come across today is a candidate to love. We're to love one another. That's just resounding theme through all of the scriptures. And every person you ever lay eyes on is a candidate for that. Jesus told a parable about, about some things, and he said this at the end of it, of it. He said, that person who's been forgiven much loves much. That person who's been forgiven little loves little. So in proportion to how much you've been forgiven is how much you'll love. And here's the kicker in that story, is that if we were to see ourselves before God's eyes, if we could see that we're traitors in the kingdom of God, rebels in the kingdom of God and deserve death, we'd see that no matter how great or little we think our sin is, we're all great sinners and we've been forgiven much. Therefore, it would preclude, it would would seem that we should then love much. So here's the challenge to you and I is this. If our understanding of the gospel shows up in how we treat people, how well do you understand the gospel? If our understanding of what it is to be forgiven all that we've done and will do by a holy God who has a perfect standard and that will show up in how we treat other people, how well do you understand the gospel? I think if I came in here cold and said, how well do you understand the gospel? I think you could whip out your pencil. You're like, I got this. And write down some truths. But what if it were to be, no, 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 don't write anything down. Let's just review this last seven days. Let's just see how we've treated one another. I think that if there is a gracious spirit toward people and a forgiving spirit and saying, man, I know how big of a debt I've been forgiven. This little debt between you and me, we're done here. We're not going to talk about this one. Love covers a multitude of sins. But for those who are running around with checklists, just with every little jot and tittle of people that are are crossing them, maybe they don't have as complete of an understanding of the gospel as they thought. Now, he talks a ton in this passage, James does, about the law, God's law. And Satan, from the very beginning of human history, has been saying that God's laws are designed to take away your pleasure and joy and to make you miserable And guess what? This lie has been very productive. People believe this. And so Satan's staying with it because it's been a productive lie. But there is coming a day when Satan's lie will be seen for exactly what it is, and that is a lie. And the truth of Scripture, the truth of God will be abundantly clear. That the laws of God were not given to bring us misery and bondage, but rather to bring us into glorious freedom. Now, he uses this term. Look at verse 8. He talks about the royal law according to the Scripture. Now, where else did did you shall love your neighbor as yourself come up as a royal law or one of the top laws? Who else talked about this? Yeah, this is one of those times. I know you're like, I think the answer is Jesus, but, but usually it's not that blatantly obvious. It is blatantly obvious this time. It is Jesus, right? He was questioned about what the greatest, what the greatest law is. And he says, you shall what? Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and the second is like it. And then he brings up this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's a royal law because the high king not only issued this decree, this law, but he embodied this decree. It's also a royal law because, catch this, if you could perfect this one rule, you would never violate another person again. Wouldn't that be remarkable? You would keep so many other commands of God if you just loved your neighbor as yourself. That's a powerful thought. That's why it's elevated to say, man, if you could nail these two things, all the law and the prophets rest on these two things. Now, who, who, who loves 4th of July? Let me see your hands if you love 4th of July. I love 4th of July. How many of you are going to get to uh, do some safe and sane fireworks? Anyone? All right. I hope you're leaving the county because that's against the law here. Uh, we are intending to leave the county, go up to Folsom, and light things on fire. Now, from a family of four boys, uh, this was my favorite holiday. I didn't get any of the religious meaning of anything else, but think about it. Four guys sitting around the table, it's not quite dark yet. That was the longest day of the year for me, is to sit there and wait for it to get Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? We got to light things on fire. We got to blow things up. We got to be rambunctious long after dinner time. I mean, what's not to love about 4th of July, right? You just get to, you just get to light things on fire. Super, super cool. Um, now, as I thought about just the whole 4th of July theme and freedom and all of that, Rob's already kind of touched on this. Christians, Christians ought to get freedom. We ought to understand and embody what it is to appreciate and not take for granted the freedoms that we enjoy. All it takes to appreciate some of the freedoms we enjoy here, by the way, is just to travel, right? Travel or talk to your family who are right now in oppressive uh, governments and, and, and whatever else. And you'll suddenly start to have a, a kind of new appreciation for the, the, the freedoms that we have here. Now, James is really enamored with the law of liberty. In verse, in verse, um, um, where is it? Uh, help me out here. Who's got it? Twelve. In twelve, he, he, uh, uses this idea of the law of liberty. Now, being a good Jewish boy, being raised up in that home, I promise you, this guy had an understanding of law. And that was drilled into him, drilled into him, drilled into him. All of a sudden, along comes Jesus, his brother, who at first he doesn't bow down and worship as Savior, but begins to realize he is. And he's taken with the fact that this new command to love one another is liberating. It's freeing. Here's something fascinating that I heard someone say on this passage, and I thought it was worth repeating. That God requires a love that cannot be required. God requires a love that cannot be required. The second you put a demand on someone of saying, you have to love this person, the nature of love begins to morph and change, doesn't it? But what happens to a Christian is the idea is that from the inside out, we begin to experience change and we say, wow, I have a genuine compassion on this person where before I thought nothing of walking right past them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for for letting me love this person. Thank you for even letting me see this person. I had a conversation with a friend as we were getting reacquainted after years, and here's what he told me. He said, I was so self-focused early on in our relationship. I don't know a thing about you, Dave. I don't really know anything about you. And I thought, wow, what humility in this person to say that, first of all. And then secondly, what a transforming work of the Holy Spirit that all of a sudden he has interest to learn about me and to care about me and to see me beyond just another body that's there doing stuff together. 
That's the kind of new heart and new love and liberating law that God gives to us. I want to invite Gria up right now, and, um, and he's going to share a couple of thoughts. But while he does, listen to this. The law isn't just don't do evil. That's favoritism. But the law is also do good, and that's love one another. So don't show favoritism is the negative side of it. Do good, love one another is the positive side of it. So if you are a child, fifth grade or younger, can you put up your hand? So, oh wow, lots of you. So I'm talking particularly to you guys, and I want to give you two examples of showing favoritism, and it would be something that you should not do. So the first example, picture yourself, you're going to the park, and you're excited to go to the park, and there are two children on the playground. You kind of know each one of them. One of them, though, man, he's got a bunch of candy. Or you know that he's had candy in the past, and you know that when you play with them, you're going to get some candy. So that's one. The second child You've played with them a little bit. For some reason, they never have candy. And sometimes you think they even smelt a little bad. Now, who are you going to play with if you're always picking the child that has candy? If you're always picking the one that you think you're going to get something in return from, that would be showing favoritism. I would encourage you guys to not do that and to include both. That's one example. The second example, we're at the camping trip. Okay, who's excited about the camping trip coming up? Yeah. All right, I'm excited too. Now, let's say we're there, we just had lunch, and we're getting ready to go out on a walk. We're maybe going to go for a river walk, or, yeah, <laughs> river walk, or even just by the beach. Uh, Pastor Ben's excited. So, you have your friends, and you, you're, you guys are ready to go, and you notice somebody on the side that you've noticed before at the trip, and you notice, you know, they dress a little bit different than your friends. They're maybe not as funny as your friends. Again, if you're always picking to go with the one group over another, over somebody that you don't think is as, as attractive to you, or maybe is a little bit different, I'd encourage you not to do that and not to show favoritism. Now, your parents now are being challenged, the same as you, to not show favoritism. Please look to your parents as they follow this. And in your own lives, look and do not show favoritism in whatever the case. Thanks, Joe. All right, here's a couple of love one another do's and don'ts, okay? So these are just, we want to get really practical. Last week, we, we talked, we... We looked at God is impartial. And if we're going to be God-like, if we're going to grow in looking like the Father, we need to grow in being impartial. We need to call it for what it is. We need to call it sin. Here's the first do that I want to, to invite you, to challenge you to, to, to do. Move from who is my neighbor to where is my neighbor. Who asked the question, who is my neighbor? Remember? We talked about this a tiny bit last week. He was a lawyer. You know what the lawyer was doing? He was muddying the waters. He was looking to justify himself. Well, well, really, Jesus, we're supposed to show mercy, but, I mean, who are we talking about here? Let's get this down to a manageable level. Jesus then goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Who is the neighbor to the man? The one who showed mercy. Who is my neighbor looks to justify? Who is my neighbor looks to, looks to protect me from the hard work of actually doing where is my neighbor is an action word. Where is my neighbor says, I want to go and find. God, who is it? Who do you have for me today to be my neighbor? Here's the truth that I know is out there is that needs are all around us. Deep needs are sitting in this room. They're represented by people who look and smell and act pretty put together. Because that's what we do on Sunday. We come together and most of your life when you're in public, you like to kind of you know, you kind of put yourself together. Reality is there's needs all around. So how do we get at those? How do we mind those needs? 
Uh, who's heard of stop, look, and listen before? Okay. Now, when should you when should you stop, look, and listen? When crossing the street. What about it, Maddie? When you're crossing a driveway. Absolutely. If you ever decide to cross a train track, do it carefully, but stop, look, and listen, right? That's really, really good advice. Apply stop, look, and listen just to this whole notion of being in a room full of people, in an office full of coworkers, in a house full of family, and to start to mine needs and think about things. Let's take stop for just one second. Don't just routine your way through life. Routining your way through life is just doing the same thing on Monday that you always do. The same thing near the end of the week that you always do. Kind of going through. How many have ever been on autopilot while driving? Me. That's scary. A lot of you have. You're not confessing it. What it is is this. You don't remember the last two miles of driving. You don't genuinely remember coming to a stop and turning right and then going left. You just got here. And you're like, wow, my mind's been a million miles away. You've been on autopilot. Sometimes we go through life and we just do the same thing. It's summer now, it'll be school later. Then there's summer again, then there's school. Maybe stop just means break the routine. Stop and do some of the things uh, that, that you don't normally do. Maybe put down this so that you can have kind of a fresh perspective on things. Look, begin to train your eyes to focus on needs. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a bright setting and then you walk into a darker room and it looks pitch black and after a couple minutes, what, what, what happens to your eyes? They adjust, right? And all of a sudden, is it really a pitch black room? No, there's all kinds of light in there and you can see different things. Here's a, here's a couch I need to avoid, there's the cat, whatever else. And you kind of feel your way around the room because you can see a little bit. I think our eyesight has this ability uh, by prayer. We say, God, you've given us a whole new nature. Give us new eyes that would look and see Help us to train and focus in on where needs are at. I've been just looking at people from a surface standpoint. I've just been looking at how tall or short or round or thin or what their voice sounds like, how they're like me, how they're not like me. God, give me eyes that would focus beyond that and see past that. Stop, look, and listen. Tune your ears to search out opportunities for mercy. You know what people love to do? They love to talk about themselves. They really do. It's common to every person you'll ever meet. Some will feign it and say, oh, no, 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 I want the spotlight off me. Please get that spotlight off me. Please, What are they doing? There's more spotlight. The more they say that, there's spotlight on them. Now, that's just a defense mechanism a little bit. But you ask good questions. You start learning how to get good questions and really listen and care about the answer. People will just start to talk. And you just start to ask them. You start to ask them questions about things. As people begin to talk, needs surface. You don't need to stop and say, you know, you mentioned that, that your car is broken down or, you know, or has a, an issue or whatever else. Do you need help with that? Many people will say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I've got it handled. I'm, I'm covered. If you are a mechanic or you have need or you, you just come and offer that. You don't even need to, 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 to draw it out. You just come and start to meet that need. That's a physical need. How about a social need? Sometimes you see someone, we've, we've pointed this out before, someone walks in here, it's very clear, they are not established in this place. They don't walk to their like set chair seating, they look like they're new. They have a need the same way you would if you were in a brand new place, of just someone to come along and introduce, not overwhelm, but just come and introduce and say, hey, my name's so-and-so, and they have a friend now, they suddenly know someone. So it's just looking for, stop, look, and listen, and having your ears tuned to the needs that are there. Now, I know what some of you are doing in here, and I think it's a legitimate question. It's something that we should ask. Here it is. 
What about the person who will take advantage of me? What about the person who will take advantage of my mercy? What about the person who will take advantage of my goodwill and my giving to them? What am I to do with that? I hope you've wrestled with that because it means you're really engaged in this. If all you've ever done is not really considered the, the needs of others, but just given a, a charity token help or hi or whatever else, you've not even gotten this far in the conversation. But some of you engaged far enough that you say, wow, this is, a, this, is a, this is a tough one. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm being drained dry, and they're squandering it. What do I do with that? I think that's a legitimate question. Let me just say this. Another do is this. Let mercy limit mercy. Here's what I mean by that. I would say that the scriptures indicate that we are to give mercy freely and even recklessly. And what I mean by that is this. We don't need to have people fill out a 27-page application to receive a hello or a goodwill gesture from us. There's no indication in the Good Samaritan, for instance, that that the hated Samaritan to this lawyer came over and had him go through a, a huge process and made him commit that he wouldn't take these, you know, this kindness and use it for evil. He just went and saw him as destitute and treated him the way that, that he would want to be treated. But what about when someone begins to receive help from you? You help them out of the ditch. You see a brother and financially you pull him right out. And then all of a sudden that person says, well, hey, I need some more. Hey, uh, do you have just a little bit more for that? All of a sudden you're in a little bit of a wrestling match, aren't you? Of saying, well, how, how do I handle this? Anyone been there? Okay, I, I think you have, yeah. So, so how do you handle that? Here's, here's what I would say, and just let this, you can, you can land on this and we can talk more about it, but if you let mercy limit mercy, then here's what happens. The, the second that you offer mercy to someone and help to someone, you are doing what God does with us and you're entering into a partnership with them. And you're actually calling them into a partnership as well. If all of a sudden what you see is that that person is beginning to just lean on you for money, your, your, your new name is ATM because they just come to you for need after need after need, then mercy all of a sudden at some point along that road changes strategy. You don't stop showing mercy, but the most merciful thing you could do at that point is what? Stop giving them money. If they keep taking it and squandering it, if they keep taking it and lead it into a destructive lifestyle, what's the most loving, merciful thing you can do? Stop. So mercy just changes strategies at that point. Now, doesn't this take daily wisdom? Go back to James 1. Whoever needs wisdom, let him ask of God and say, God, I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be an instrument of mercy to people. I want to love people extravagantly. Here's the, here's the reality. You will get burned if you show mercy freely and recklessly. There will be times where you will give money and you'll never see that person again. You'll give mercy and they'll throw it back in your face. Read the Gospels. Did this ever happen to Jesus? The answer is yes. Right? But some have entertained angels when doing so. Jesus tells a story that when you were visiting that person that, that you didn't really know in the prison, that was me. That stranger you invited in, and you didn't know, like, is, is this gonna, is this gonna keep them in a bad light? That was me. When you gave that cup of cold water, when you fed that person, that was me you were serving. So let mercy limit mercy. We could talk a lot more about this, and I'd love to engage more. We'll keep moving on. By the way, um, if it's true that as soon as mercy is causing harm or this help you're giving is causing harm and you have to shift strategies, 
then here's what I would, here's what I'd toss out to you. Don't jump into and buy lock, stock, and barrel into some political system. Because let me tell you, conservatives and liberals, how they get it wrong. Conservatives in general get it wrong this way. They either ignore the need altogether, or there's some sort of system of making them clean up before they'll get the need to ensure that no one's taking advantage of it. The liberal camp in general says this, we'll give freely, but we'll never require growth or change. And so it actually will keep people in that camp. We see those two kind of big, broad brushstrokes painted there. Let me show you a better way. Come as you are, freely give. Freely give. Come as you are, people to Neighborhood Bible Church. But don't stay that way. Come as you are is freely giving, but don't stay that way is to give wisely. And that's to be so engaged in someone that it says, you know what, the last thing you need right now is more financial help. The last thing you need right now is for me to keep driving you all over town. You need to get your life in order. And many people at that point will check out. They don't want you into their life. They want a free handout. At that point as a Christian, we've we've changed strategies. All right, here's uh, a couple of don'ts. Those are some do's. Don't settle. What I mean by don't settle is this. Look beyond what you're currently doing. I think we have a church that is amazing at this. This passage of not showing favoritism. Are there other things that are are to work on? Yes. But I think in this area, God has blessed this congregation in in a great way here. But let's not settle. What else could be? Young people, set a tone for us older people in saying, how about these people? So let's not settle for, for just what is. Secondly is don't forget. What I mean by don't forget is this. Don't forget by simply always looking for people who are roughly in your same life phase or camp. Even if they're different than you, you might decide to to throw barbecues for people in your neighborhood. That's a great first step, right? But can't people in your neighborhood invite you back for a barbecue? For the most part, they can. Jesus indicated that maybe that's not wrong to throw a barbecue for your neighbors. That's a great way to get to know them and invite them into your life and on and on. But there are also people who could never invite you to a, to a, a, a barbecue. How many feasts have we thrown? How many parties have we thrown? And we've said, we're going to go on the highways and byways. We're going to invite people that would never otherwise be in our home eating our ribs, right? And, and so to, to start thinking, God, don't let me be guilty of the sin of omission, not doing some things that, that, that you have for me simply because they're out of my radar, uh, ben, I want you to come on up right now and talk to our youth and specifically share on this topic. All right, where are my middle schoolers and high schoolers? Go ahead and stand up. That way you'll like be dialed in this whole time. <laughs> yeah, I know how your brains work. Here's the thing. As middle school and high school students, you guys have uh, some unique challenges in this area of favoritism. At the same time, you have some unique opportunities in this area of favoritism at school. Some of the unique challenges you guys face. First of all, cliques. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Hanging out with certain people because they dress like you, they smell like you, they like to do what you do, whatever it may be. But cliques is, you know, though it's something that's inclusive, it's also something that's exclusive. And, you know, you're included because you're a certain way, but that excludes people that aren't that certain way and may not have a clique to fit into. Bullying. There's been this story in the news about this woman that was bullied, and this whole topic of bullying has been coming up a lot. But picking on someone because they're different or or making fun of someone because they're different, 
is another challenge that you guys face on a daily basis at school. And then finally, stereotypes. And sadly, this is one that bleeds into adulthood as well. But you can easily look through your classroom and say, oh, that person's good at sports. That person probably gets all A's. That person probably spends a ton of time in the principal's office. And you can just like look around and, and, and identify people. And you're probably thinking of people in your head that fit all of those categories. No problem. Because of how they look, because of just uh, different things you've noticed, and you've just decided that this person is that way. Now, all of these things are things that you are pushing towards other people, largely because and this is a way a lot of middle school and high school students work, is I don't want to, the focus to be on myself. I don't want to be looked at as different. I just want to fit in. Now, you, I mentioned you guys have a unique blessing in this area of favoritism as well, and that is that you have the biggest melting pot of, of people you'll ever see in your life. First of all, just by living in this area, you have a wider mix of, of races, ethnicities, backgrounds than you'll ever see in your life. And also, just by being at school, by being at school, you're around tons of different people from tons of different backgrounds. As you get older, as you find work, as you go off into neighborhoods, different neighborhoods, you, you don't find that kind of melting pot anywhere else except, Dave mentioned the other day, except the DMV. The DMV, you go and you find all sorts of people from all different walks of life. But you have a unique uh, opportunity right now to, to interact with people from all different walks of life. So here's the challenge you guys face. The challenge you face is stepping out and being different, which is what everyone is ridiculed for. Clicks, bullying, stereotypes, that's all ridiculing the people that are different or picking on the people that are different. And you have the challenge of going out and being different. And my challenge to you guys is to be different in your middle school, is to be different in your high school, is to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to be play favorites. I'm not going to fall into this trap of favoritism, but rather I'm going to remember what God has asked of me and remain faithful to that. Uh, I want to invite the band up. We're going we're gonna to wrap up our service here in just a second, um, but, but track with me for about two more minutes here as the band gets settled and situated. Paul, if anyone had a lot to give up in terms of this game of achievement and external reward and making everything just so, it was Paul. And he actually lists all the different things that if you wanted to look at just his flesh, just his external, he had it dialed in. He was the overachiever of overachievers. He would have been super special forces type guy. That's the person Paul was. And in your handout this morning, I just want you to look at it. Philippians 3, verse 8, he says this, I consider everything, after listing all these things, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that's British for garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That, my friends, is freedom. And today, as we celebrate and think about freedom and, and think about those kinds of things out there, know that it's not from the law, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And as you see people and interact with people, as we continue to worship by the way we eat lunch together, 
you're looking at a hundred percent human being there. And so let's here's my here's my invitation to you. I don't want to require it because the second you require it, it would blow it apart and make it awkward and weird. But my invitation to you is you have an opportunity. Many of you are going to stay for lunch right now. You have an opportunity to meet someone new. And you have an opportunity to meet something new in someone that you already know. So let's not squander this time we have just going through the, the routines of our life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. We are a wealthy church. You've said that uh, it's, it's a blessed home that has kids full of it. And we are, we are thrilled for the gifts, um, not only of the children in this room, but the children that grew into big people, God. And uh, we thank you for each soul that you've blessed us with being in contact with today. I pray, God, that as a church family, that we would live and walk in this in such a huge way. Father, I pray that you genuinely would be seen in the way that people treat one another, not just during services, not just during programs, but, God, that we would carry this outside of the church building to our office and to our home and on the roadway and at our schools. God, we recognize afresh that we need your grace to walk the way of Jesus. And we don't want to be just claimers of those who follow you, but we want to actually walk in your footsteps. I thank you for music. I thank you for food. I thank you for how we can celebrate and be joyfully with one another, carry each other's burdens. Pray that all of that would go on in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.